I do hope that you are enjoying the book of Genesis as much as I am. Man, it has been a good, fun book already, and we're only into chapter 2. We're wrapping up the first of the four major events. Uh, I shot you this graph, and again, um, feel free at Safe Haven to take a picture of anything that you see other than this guy. Take a picture of anything you see on the screen that may help you in your own private study. Email us if, if there was something that you didn't get down. We can shoot you the slides, um, all that kind of stuff. But this is the whole outline of the book of Genesis. If you've ever wondered what is the book of Genesis, this is it in picture format. Uh, there are four major events. There are four major people. That's how the book is broken up. It's not a complex book. It's pretty simple when you think about it that way. Um, we are wrapping up the first of the four major events today, uh, that being creation. And then uh, Tyler LaFoy will uh, bring the word next week, chapter 3. Um, and, and if you've never heard um, the, the, the bearded wonder speak, um, it, he's, he's just... He, he just unlocks the scripture in a great way. And so he's going to take us into the fall. <laughs> so how's that for an introduction? <laughs> so I get all the fun stuff and then he gets the fall of mankind. So uh, there you go. You're lucky, Tyler. Um, so here's the deal. Maybe a recap and picture form where we've been so far in a little different way. We began Genesis chapter 1. Big, broad overview. God created. Boom. Big, broad stroke. We moved into chapter 2 last week, and it's kind of a zoom-in. So the zoom-in would be, okay, yes, God created, but chapter 2 is a recap of one in more specific details. What happened in that creation? And then there's all kind of things being created. He gives a recap of that. Well, today, chapter 2 at the very end zooms in even further, and that further view will be specifically on, okay, great, big God, big creation, all right, big God, lots of things, all right, big God, man, woman. And so we'll kind of hone in on that, and we'll see that today as it fleshes out before our eyes. Literally a microscopic view, I guess we could say, of the institution of marriage and, and what that looks like. And so up to this point, everything is good or very good. All the way through Genesis 1, chapter 2. As a matter of fact, the word good and or very good has been used as no shock to you if you've been journeying with us through this. Anybody want to take a guess how many times? Seven times. There's so many sevens. Uh, The word good or very good has been used. So this is the seventh time. um, And let's see where the Lord takes us in the continuation of the journey today. The Word of God for the people of God. We're going to start off in verse 15 as a recap. Catch us back up and then we'll jump into the text today. Verse 15, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Um, broad, broad stroke Elohim, big God, has formed the world and filled the world. Big Elohim then has moved into Yahweh Elohim, if you remember, very personal God. He is there to give the tree of life, grand potential, the tree of good and evil, disastrous potential. And, and then he goes on to this and he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the stage is set for disaster or wonder. And I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon. If if you didn't catch that, go and you can figure out what these trees are last week. Uh, But mankind is set and he's walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. That's his job. That's a pretty good job. Hang out with God in the cool garden, right? So this is going on. Then we make it to verse 18. Then the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, personal, said, 
It is, say it aloud with me, not good. Our first not good in the Bible right here. Everything to this point has been good, and now we've got our first not good. And anytime something like that strongly shifts, we ought to pay attention to it. It's not good that the man should be alone. And I say this is notable for at least two reasons. Two reasons I think this is notable. Number one, it's notable because it was something observed by God and not Adam. Adam didn't recognize that anything was not good. He, he wasn't in any uh, need. He wasn't in any want. And God's the one that noticed it. And I think that's notable. God looked around the sphere of his creation and he said, man, everything is good. And then he goes, hold on. Now there's something that's not good. And so he keys in on this. So it's a great reminder to us that, yeah, there's no rogue molecule in the universe. <laughs> Every molecule is held together by the Lord and given by the Lord, but every emotion is likewise given by the Lord. Mankind, again, he, Adam did not go, oh, I feel like I need something, but he was content. He's playing with the monkeys. He's, he's skipping diamonds across the water. I mean, there's jewels and all this kind of stuff. He didn't, he didn't know any different. And God goes, whoa, there's an emotion that Adam needs. There's something he needs. There's something that's not good. And in that moment, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. So Adam, he didn't ache for sexuality. And so you can kind of start reading weird things into this passage like, oh, Adam was aching. He didn't ache for that. He didn't even know what it was. Adam had no clue what sexuality was. And so it wasn't this. It it wasn't a sexual drive or something like that, that that caused him to need or to want. He knew perfect companionship with God and God alone. And it was sufficient. It was everything that he needed. But God did go, nope. This is not good because I want to bless Adam with something to enjoy, but also something that will be an avenue of grander worship. And that's where companionship comes in. One of these we get and the world gets, the enjoyment part, right? Okay, we think about marriage, and we think about enjoyment, and, and this is the goal, and blah, blah, blah. And there's some people in there going, I ain't nothing enjoy about that. You know, whatever. We'll get to that a little bit later. But nonetheless, it's given to enjoy. And so we understand that. <clears throat> but the worship part's the thing we forget. And so God did give man something to enjoy. And he goes, this is not good. I do want him to enjoy something more. But I also want him to have something that spawns even further worship. And that's the essence of marriage. That's what marriage comes from. He says, it's not good. There's there's a realm in which man can't worship me. And I'm going to help him in this. And so again, the first, we don't have any problem with the enjoyment part. I mean, good grief. Ed Sheeran. And I love old Ed. Me and Ed are boys. The song Perfect, right? What a song. And you think about the endless songs that have been written about love. I mean, the world gets enjoyment. Uh, Movies. The Notebook. The Notebook. Grant, just these wonderful love stories. Bridal magazines. Flip through the pages. Ah, this dress, that dress, whatever. Do they, I don't know. I just may have showed my age. Do they have bridal magazines anymore? Is it all digital? Okay, <laughs> you flip through the screen, you know, whatever it is. They, the world gets the enjoyment part. We've got all that. But again, the second is where it gets warped. And we forget 
that marriage exists not to make us happy. Marriage exists to make us holy. That's the point of marriage. And so he gives us this. And so marriage exists so that two people could push one another in every decision of life to honor the Lord. To honor the Lord with choices, to honor the Lord with finances, to honor the Lord with the decisions, to honor the Lord with kids, to honor the Lord with hobbies too. For me to take Julie Beth and to help her worship the Lord more and for her to push me and to go, hey, let's worship the Lord this way. And so that's the essence of marriage. So God gives this for enjoyment, for also worship. So I think it's notable because God observed it. But number two, it's also noticeable because creation was magnificent, but it did have a deficiency. Loneliness. Loneliness was not a good thing. And so for all of us in here who are content introverts, that's hard to hear. Right? All the content introverts are like, loneliness is pretty awesome. I like quiet. I don't like people. I don't want to be around anybody. God looked out and said, no, no, loneliness is not good. Isolation is not a good thing. You go, Troy, you don't understand. I love to get alone in my shooting house just by my... There we go. Hunters are mad. All the hunters are mad at me now. I got to get alone in my shooting. It's just that isolation. There's good time to get away. Jesus got away. But in broad stroke... The Lord looked out and said, isolation is not good. Independence, not good. That's hard for all the self-sufficient people to hear. I am king of my own castle by myself. God looks at you and goes, well, that's not good. That's not good. All these things were. So God decided to offer something more fulfilling in this deficiency that he noted. Very strange transition here. It reminds me of green beans. Let me explain. Green beans are great. I love green beans. Team green bean. Jarrett still, I haven't had the Brussels that Christina makes, but I'm still anti-Brussels, all right? But let's go with green beans. Green beans are awesome. And and I've eaten them all my life. Slap butter on them, garlic on them, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're just incredible. Until about seven years ago. Came to a church event. Somebody brought green bean bundles. Whole nother level. It's a whole nother level. If you've had a green bean bundle, let's do it the opposite way. If you've never had a green bean bundle, oh my, y'all have never had green bean bundles? Church, our potluck is heresy right now. We're going to fix that at the next potluck. As a matter of fact, we're just going to, we're going to turn brats and burgers into brats and burgers and bundles. Okay. Um, Green bean bundle is you take the green beans, you put them together, you wrap bacon around them, amen, and then you cover them with sugar and then cook them. The first time I put a green bean bundle in my mouth, my head exploded and I was like, (laughs) that is a whole nother level and I think that that's what's going on here. (laughs) But with mankind. And so the Lord looks around, and he goes, there's man. He's good. As a matter of fact, he's very good. But man, I can make this better. I can make this sucker pop. And then he orchestrates what comes next. He says, I will then, as we continue in God's word, I'll make a helper. 
a helper fit like bacon around a green bean. (laughs) I'll make a helper fit for him. Verse 19. And so out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave name to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, now here's this word again, there was not found a helper, used twice now, fit for him. Lots of cool things, but nothing that fit him like a glove. Adam looks around, he sees the oceans, he sees the mountains, he sees pterodactyls, he sees the little ladybugs, he sees everything, but nothing fit him just right. And so now we've got the inaugural use of the word helper. In Hebrew, the word is ezer, okay? So you can call your spouse an ezer for the rest of the day. But the inaugural use of this word here is helper or helpmate. Now this word gets misused all the time. So let's go ahead and tackle the misuse right off the bat. The misuse of this term would mean something like weak. So there is a misuse of this term, and it would be weak or servant. Something like this, that God looked out and there was man, and there needed to be something that came along that was not quite equal in value, um, maybe didn't have the exact same purpose, maybe a little bit less intellect, all that kind of stuff. Every woman in here wants to punch somebody right now with me saying that. Almost like a plumber and a plumber's assistant. You got the plumber. Now that's the dignified one, right? And then you got the assistant. And that assistant is there to hand the wrench to the plumber. And that's kind of how it's, especially in our southern culture, right? We're man here, a swore woman, make me a PBJ. You know, it's kind of this. Now here's why I say this is a misuse. This is a misuse because this word, easer, helper, is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Two times it refers to women. Two times it refers to the nation of Israel, actually three. And then 16 times, you know who's called a helper? God. Ain't nobody going to look at God and go, well, you're lesser or inferior to me, helper. We're never going to say that, right? Right? And so this is the misuse of the term. God's not inferior to anybody. The focus was on that man needed to be saved from something that he was lacking. And so God said, you're lacking, and I'm going to give you a helper, a helpmate, an easer, if you will. This is where this word comes from. So a biblical use of the word would be alongside. God gives woman to come alongside. Literally, matching opposites is what the word means. Someone to come alongside to serve with the man, equal in all things, yet distinct in some roles. And that's biblical, and that's okay, and that's right, and that's good. Equal, yet different roles. So without woman, man was only half the story that God wanted to create. And so this comes in and brings the fullness. And, and we can see this illustrated in the Godhead, simply. And in, in, look no further than, than the Godhead three in one. You have the Father and you have the Son and you have the Spirit, equal in essence, equal in being, yet distinct in roles, right? The Father doesn't do what the Son does. The Son doesn't do what the Spirit does. The Spirit doesn't do what the Father does. They serve in different roles, yet equal. And so we see this. Adam needed someone simultaneously like him and unlike him altogether. And so God saw fit for this. In other words, I I guess in the words of the great theologian Tom Cruise, God looks out with man and woman and he goes, you need completed. 
You need completed. And then when Adam sees woman, he goes, you complete me. And this is what happens. So this is the fullness of all that's going on in this passage. So again, Adam has no clue that he needed genuine companionship. So God gives this object lesson that we went through last week. Let's recap it again. Let's read on verse 21 and see that this was no accident but a glorious work of the Lord. So the Lord God caused, I underlined I think on the screen, all of the verbs, just emphasizing for me that God did all this. Man didn't come up with marriage. God did all. All the verbs are God did, okay? God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman because she was taken out of mankind. What a glorious thing. All the beasts of the field are made out of dirt. All the flying birds are made out of dirt. Mankind is made out of dirt. Woman now all of a sudden is made out of bone and flesh, unlike any other creature. Now this is pretty cool, man. Part of this passage completely grosses me out. I'll just be honest with you. Yesterday, after Cole's game, we we stopped by full moon. And I ordered ribs. And I wasn't thinking about it in the least bit. And I'm telling you, the moment that I bit into that rib, this passage exploded into my mind and I almost threw up all over the place. I was just complete. So part of it's a little bit gross, but as a whole, this passage really intrigues me. Because it, 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 we have to ask the question, why a rib? I mean, he did everything else from dirt. Why now all of a sudden a rib, Right? And I think context is is both king and key, if you will. Well, here's the deal. I I think we could maybe say this. If he would have made her out of dirt, she could have been totally separate from Adam. If she would have made him out of Adam's head, she could have been above Adam. If she would have made him out of Adam's feet, she could have been below Adam. And so God, in His infinite wisdom and sovereignty, took a rib right out of the side so that she would be alongside with him. Absolutely perfect. Only something a a grand, glorious God could come up with. So he takes this rib out. And Adam knew it. I mean, he knew it as soon as he woke up, didn't he? It was way better than the McRib sandwich. I I don't know where that... Okay. (laughs) What? We have had a lot of talk about food today. Um, He knew it, man. How do we know that he knew this was grand and glorious? Because... These are the first words ever recorded of a human speaking in the Bible. First words man ever spoke in the Bible right here. Whoa, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. And Adam erupts in worship. He doesn't go, caveman, oh, mine, bonk, drag, cave. Nothing. He goes... God, that's incredible. You deserve worship. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Out of man, you've made this. And it's perfect. And so he looks at this, and, and this is what marriage should be. Marriage should be the exact same worshipful experience that Adam experienced. It should be man and woman looking at one another and going, Man, you're awesome. You're incredible. 
God made you this way and God made me this way and we are an absolute mess together. (laughs) But by God's grand glorious design, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you have fit this nut job together with this other nut job. And we're trying to exist to be two nut jobs together and, and raise more little nut jobs, right? Praise the Lord. Thank you, God. You didn't have to give me that. And you did. And every divorce that I've ever seen in my life can be tracked back to some form of selfishness, mainly stopping worshiping the Lord for the spouse and craving something specifically for themselves. Every single marriage. If you found yourself in divorce, you probably at this point could say amen to that, but you don't want to because that would just be awkward. But that's what happens. And I've never seen a marriage fail where this type of competitive worship happens in a marriage. Where it's two people constantly pushing one another to praise the Lord and glorify the Lord. And when there's a disruption, that's where tension begins. But alas, this is not a message on divorce. It's a message on marriage. And I can't prove this next statement to be true. But... After this happens and, and Adam names all the animals and then he's deep sleep and he wakes up and there's a woman and all this kind of stuff and he, God puts them together and, and the first institution of marriage comes up, um, it's got to be like the Simba moment <laughs> in Lion King. Simba's raised up and all the animals just align and they're mesmerized. Hey, there's Simba. And I think that's probably what goes on here. Man, crown jewel of creation, animals already know it. And now all of a sudden there's a double crown jewel. They come together, sparks fly, and it's almost like the animals just line up. It's like, wow. Wow, God. Church, we got to stop with the water cooler conversations of, yeah, my old ball and chain won't let me go nowhere. I want to do this, but I got my husband or my wife. To... It's garbage. And we got to see marriage as beautiful as the Lord designed it to be. And we ought to be the ones, believers, standing up at the water cooler going, uh-uh, negative. My wife is a glorious gift from the Lord. My husband is a glorious gift from the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've got to see marriage that way. That's when the world will look at the church and go, they're different because we worship through marriage. So this was the institution, and let's wrap it up. Verse 24. Because of all this, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That should bring a fuller picture to that verse that we all can quote. Right? Therefore, because God did this, because God designed it, because God instituted it, because God glorified it, because God receives worship from it, because of all these things, therefore, marriage should happen. A leaving and a holding fast, a becoming one. Let's just kind of look at those words real fast. Leave and hold fast. What we should learn from that is that marriage first attention is not our parents is not our friends and is not our co-workers. And a lot of marriages struggle because the wife or husband never leaves their parents. There's a leaving, a very real leaving that's called to go on. 
Not to be uh, attention to our co-workers or our friends or whatever, but the attention set, therefore, is to leave and hold fast to his wife. So the marriage's first obligation. Get real close to getting fired here. But the marriage's first obligation is not our hobbies. It's not our hunting. It's not our shopping. It's not our job. And the first obligation, church... In a marriage, is not our children. It's not. And I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen die on the altar of parenting. The first obligation is one another. And marriage's forced loyalty is not money, it's not the profession, it's not houses, it's not cars, it's not vacation, it's not fun, it's not all of these things. Anything other than leaving and cleaving to one another teeters, if not jumps into, complete sinful perversion of what God intended marriage to be. There's a leaving and a cleaving and then a becoming one. Quite literally, and I'm not making this up, Literally, the word is to stick and to cling to one another. This same word is used of Job. If you've read through Job, and Job has lost everything. He's lost his family. He's hungry. He's emaciated. And he says this. He says, my skin sticks to my bones. It wraps around. It clings. And that's the picture of what God says marriage is to be. You leave and then you cleave. You hold fast. And so this Also, anytime the Lord enters into a covenant, that's what He does. The Lord cleaves and holds fast to the covenant. So much so that any covenant the Lord makes is completely unbreakable. And that's the glorious news of the gospel, right? That's our only hope. That He says, I covenant to the work of Christ so that those who believe in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's our hope. And so that's what he says about marriage. Marriage is this cleaving, this covenanting. And now, because of this, we should understand more fully the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19, 5 and 6. Where he says this. Our Lord Jesus quotes this passage and says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. So they're no longer two flesh, but they're one. And at that point we go, yeah, yeah. He's quoting Genesis 2. And then the Lord Jesus adds one little extra phrase. And that one little extra phrase is this. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He says, this is why I say this. Because it's God's design. You didn't wake up and just go, hey, I'm going to make this thing work and make this blah, blah, blah. God says, no, I did this. I instituted this. I instituted this for my glory. And so Jesus says, because of what God has done, therefore, let no man separate. This is probably quoted. Listen, shoot, why not? We've already raised hands once or twice. Let's raise hands again. If that was quoted in your wedding ceremony, raise your hand. Yeah, almost everybody. Yeah, this is something that's, that's quoted. And they're good. They're good words. They're right words. They're holy words. They're they're true words. They're they're God's words. And at Safe Haven, we'll never back down from God's words. They are what they are. We eat them. Which brings us to the crossroads of truth and grace again as a church, doesn't it? Some of you in this room are like, yes! And then some of you are like, oh, (laughs) 
Why did I come to church today? I should have slept in. I should have. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I cannot wait for Tyler to talk about the fall of man and stop talking about marriage, Troy. Right? Right. So we feel that. Balance of truth and grace. Let's look at it. Truth. Church. Facts don't have feelings. They're just facts. And this is the fact of what marriage is by God's design. It's the truth of God's Word. So here's the deal. If you want to know the truth of God's Word, unashamedly, here it is. God's design for marriage is for one man to marry one woman and their marriage function as worship for a lifetime. That's the goal. That's the standard. That's the truth. And Safe Haven Church will never back down from that. It's God's Word. Truth. Less grace. Grace. In Christ, we are not the sum total of our past decisions. Praise God. Praise God. In no way, as a church giving us a pass or a license to just do whatever we want, but in every way freeing us to live righteously, there is a grace in Christ that allows us to draw a line in the sand and to do today what we wish we would have done yesterday. So to those who hear this passage and go, man, I have completely botched this up. Number one, welcome to the club. We all have, in some shape, form, or fashion, yours just made it maybe to a legal stance. Number one, welcome to the club. Number two, breathe in the grace of Christ. There's enough grace at the foot of the cross for you and your mess up. There's enough grace to start afresh and anew to worship the Lord in your current situation where you're at and to move forward for His glory in all things. Praise God for that, church. And don't toy with God's grace, any of us. Truth. God's Word stands. Let's align our lives to it. Grace, if you've messed it up, cling to the cross, start afresh and anew, and do today what you wish you would have done yesterday. Hey, that's fun, church. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. If you are married, you ought to walk around your house naked. It's God's Word. It's the truth. And all the men said amen to our wife, <laughs> right? No, this is, this, they're naked, they're not ashamed. Um, it's in the Bible. Now, of course, close your blinds and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a beauty to this. There's a gospel beauty to this. Don't miss the gospel in this. Adam and Eve before the fall I had nothing to be ashamed of. Here I am, Lord. What? What a visual image. Here I am, Lord. <laughs> hey, you, you made this. Here you go. Here I am. Open book. I love you. Fall happens. We're ashamed. Golly, yuck. Christ comes back to take his bride as the bridegroom. He marries us, 
redeems us, gives us a hope and a future so that one day we can walk into the presence of the Lord. Open book, nasty, yuck mess. And go, I'm here. But because of Christ, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. If you've never drunk the gospel to that fullest extent to where you can say of your sin, I'm not ashamed, then you can't echo with Paul. I boast not in my strength, but in my what? My weaknesses. Because in my weaknesses, you are made strong. That's the hope of the gospel. Yeah, yes. That's the hope of the gospel. We can walk in unashamed and go, Lord, I'm a mess. But Jesus is not. And I'm alongside him. Parting shots. This passage, man, is is where the wellspring of life originates. Let's not pass that by. Genesis 1 and 2 is where all of life originates. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's the depths that we're in. Okay, so love, covenants, life, mission, it all flows from here. And God rests at this moment and brings about Sabbath. Right? Genesis 2 is a recap of Genesis 1, all that happened on day 6. We see a glimpse of in chapter 1. Chapter 2, all of this happens. Man is created. Woman happens. Boom, all these things. And then God goes, now it's very good. Now I will rest. That's how awesome marriage is. God rests after it. That's good. All right. So a word to those. I realize, man, y'all better come back up, number one. I realize that there's all kind of emotions flowing. Let me say a couple of things. A word to those who hear this passage and go, I'm with you, book of Genesis, so why on earth am I still single? I'm with you, Genesis. Why am I still single? If it's such a good thing. I would say two things, one practical and then one biblical. One maybe not as biblical and one very biblical. One, just practically, hey, if you're single, make sure you're not trying to find Jesus to be your spouse. I hear that a lot of times. I'm waiting on the one who's just like Jesus. Well, (laughs) good luck on that one. You ain't going to find that spouse. You're not going to find Jesus, right? Um, And then number two, I don't know. I don't know why God still has you in the status. There's a lot to be said in 1 Corinthians 8 about that and your singleness and how you leverage that for God's glory. But at Safe Haven, man, if you want to be married, we want you to be married. And I'll pray along with you. I think it's an awesome thing. Yeah. So I don't know if that was an answer, but a word to those who are saying, I'm married, but I want out. (laughs) I want out. Number one, where's the gospel deficiency in your marriage? What are you not believing? Where are you not worshiping? Go there and you'll find the root of why you want out. And then to a word to those who are saying, look, I've been married. I've had adultery. I've had premarital sex. Whatever. I've got all that. And I don't know what to think about this passage. I give to you the words of Jesus. Go. Sin no more. Go send them more. Breathe in the gospel and send them more. Praise the Lord for that, for all of us, right? Take this passage and bring honor to the Lord going forward. You're welcome on my table. 
you are welcome to cut my grass. And you're welcome to make me green bean bundles. <laughs> We've really gone way off. Um, you're welcome at Safe Haven Church. By God's grace, we're all welcome at Safe Haven Church. A word to those saying, wow, I'm blessed to have a spouse and I'm blessed to be married. Yeah, you are. Yes, you are. Maybe you just want to take the hand of your spouse as we pray and lift up your heart to the Lord in thanksgiving for the gift that he's given you. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, what a fun ride Genesis 1 and 2 has been. And I anticipate 3 through 50 will be, but I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that at Safe Haven we don't have to come up with topics or whatever. We just dive in and let your word speak. It's good. It's rich. It's meaningful. May this passage be like honey to all that are in relationships, to see the glorious gift that marriage is. So to the marrieds in here, I pray that they will see their spouse as a gracious gift. To those who have had a falling out, God, that they won't look at marriage and and go, no, it ain't that good, Troy. But they'll look internal And they'll see the beauty that you designed it to be and how we, as sinners, we mess up a lot of things. And they'll own the part that they need to own and they'll repent and they'll confess that they'll not demonize or belittle their exes. And they'll walk in worship from here on out. They'll see what what could be. And then, Lord, for the singles, my heart really does go to the singles in this room who who long for companionship. God, I don't... God, I want that for them. I want them to enjoy that, but more importantly, I want them to worship you through that. And so... I don't know, God, I I mean, I feel myself at the crossroads right now of let your will be done, but also ask. Ask and receive. So, God, I'm going to hang out on the ask side. And as a church, I'm just going to ask, God, that you would bring those people, that you would bring the perfect companion to people in this room longing for gospel companionship. Through a dating app, through whatever. I, God, I don't know how these... Through a church meeting, I don't know. Through school, through work, through the, through the grocery store. God, if you would be gracious, God, bring them a companion that they can worship you with. And Okay. Um, Lord, thank you for the gospel in this passage. Thank you that ultimately for all of us, We will fail one another in relationships, but Jesus, as the perfect bridegroom, you will never fail your bride. And in that, 
we find our hope. Be sufficient for all of us right now, Lord Jesus.